looking at Psalm 86 tonight. Psalm 86. So we will uh, we'll read the psalm and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Psalm 86, starting in verse 1. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me. And have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast holpened me, that is, hast helped me and comforted me. So Psalm 86, Psalm 86, the, the title I'm going to give this psalm, at least the way we're going to look at it tonight is finding hope in the day of trouble. Finding hope in the day of trouble. So you're going to see some of the same themes we talked about on Sunday. At least some of those illustrated here. Uh, this, uh, this psalm does give us a picture of David uh, working to, and not just working to, but David's actually doing it here. He's not, he's not struggling to get there. We see it in action. David is actively aligning his hopes and expectations, the hopes and expectations of his heart to the theological realities that God reveals in Scripture. So this is a prayer that is a, uh, in some ways it sounds like a lot of the other prayers that we've heard in the Psalms. It sounds very similar. It's a, it's a lament, um, and then it's a, it's a cry for help. And, but you'll notice in this prayer, it's not hard to see that that it's a it's a prayer of David. It's a prayer where David's crying out to God. It's a prayer where David's in trouble. Um, he talks about being in the day of trouble. But this prayer is not. You'll notice this. It's not a prayer that is primarily about David. It's a prayer that is completely focused on the Lord. 
It's focused on who God is. It's focused on what God's promised. It's focused on what God does. And then David kind of weaves that in and out of his own circumstance. It's not that he, he ignores what's going on, but David is, is praying in a way that forces him to see his current circumstance in light of biblical realities that the Lord has, has revealed to him through Scripture. So we're going to break this psalm up into three different sections. The first one is verses 1 through 7. Um, as far as finding hope in the day of trouble, the sections, the headings are going to be, number one, call upon the Lord. Number two, turn toward the Lord. And then number three, cry out to the Lord. So call upon the Lord, turn toward the Lord, and cry out to the Lord. So verses 1 through 7, we see David calling upon the Lord. And again, we've said this already, but you'll notice as we read that this prayer, in this prayer, David is not focused on himself. He's, he's focused on God. One of the ways that we see that immediately is that in the first three verses, uh, David is using three different names um, of God that highlight three different aspects of God's character. So you'll see in um, verse 1, Bow down thine ear, O Lord. That's all capitals there. Okay, that's, that's Yahweh. Okay, and you'll remember what that means in Hebrew. Uh, Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the, the, the God of covenant, right? The, the, the God who is, uh, loyal to the covenant that he makes with his people. And then verse two. Preserve my soul, for I am holy, O thou my God. The word there for God is Elohim, and it just means Almighty God. So he's he's bringing his uh, he's calling out to the God of Covenant. He's calling out to the Almighty God. And then in verse three, he says, "Be merciful unto me, O Lord." That's a capital L, but you'll notice the O R D is in lowercase. Okay, that's Adonai. Just means the Sovereign God. So there in three, in three verses, we see David is not just consumed with what's happening with him. David is approaching God and he's approaching God based on what he knows about God according to scripture. These first three lines show us that David, while he is in the day of trouble, David is thinking very theological here as he's bringing this to God. But he's not thinking theological in the sense of, let me meditate on some abstract facts about what it means for God to be a covenant God. No, he's saying, Lord, you're a covenant God. Hear my prayers. You said you would be loyal to your people and the covenant that you made with your people. Then I'm asking you to please hear the prayer that I'm praying to you. Uh, Lord, you've revealed yourself as um, God Almighty. Then preserve my soul. I need you to be what you said you are for your people. Father, you uh, um, uh, have promised that you're merciful to your people. And so in your sovereignty, I am crying out to you. Be merciful. Be unnecessarily kind. This is a this is a, a providential type thing here. Lord, I'm in a real... Um, uh, trial here. I'm in a real desperate spot and you and your sovereignty, please be, be merciful. And so we see, um, just from the, from the outset, and then those, those names will kind of be, um, reworked through the psalm. The, 
Adonai will, will show up again. Yahweh will show up again. God will show up again. Elohim. But, but don't miss the, the theological significance there. That's not just on accident. And it's not just so that David's not being redundant. David means something different with each name that he uses. Or maybe I should say he's focusing on a different aspect of God's character with each name that he uses. So it's intentional as David lays that out. Again, finding hope in the day of trouble. Well, the first place we can see right off the bat, David is finding hope in the different facets of God's character. He is my covenant God. He is the almighty God and he is the sovereign God who has made covenant with me. Now, another thing that's that's helpful to look at is uh, the structure, particularly in these first seven verses, the structure of David's prayer, the structure of the way he makes his request in this section. You'll notice that it's, it goes like this. David makes a request, and then you'll see the word for. It just means for this purpose. So it's a request that's followed by a corresponding reason as to why God would grant such a thing. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me. This is verse 1. For I am poor and needy. Now, is there anything in Scripture that would lead us to believe that God looks upon those who are needy and poor and contrite? Now, when he's talking about poor and needy, he's not saying I'm out of cash. He's saying I'm low. I'm in a, in a weak place. Well, yeah, there's all kinds of places in Scripture that would lead us to believe that, that the Lord looks upon the humble, that the Lord hears the humble when they cry. Isaiah 66, 1 through 2 would be a, would be one of those, um, uh, one of those passages where the Lord talks about the fact that He's created the heavens and all that's, all that's there and the earth is His footstool. But He says, I will look to this man or this man gets my attention. And it's the one who is lowly and of a contrite heart. Again, David's, you'll notice David's theology is very practical here, but this is not one of those things where David says, forget about doctrine, God's love, and I'm just going to, no, that's not what's happening here. David's learned some things about God, and what he's learned about God is informing the way he's approaching God. Hear me, Lord, because you hear people who come to you in humility. Notice the second one. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. The request, preserve my soul. Why? For or because I am holy. Now, that can be kind of a weird one if we don't catch what he's saying. We could also say it this way. Preserve my soul because you have set me apart. David's not saying preserve my soul because I'm, you know, 100% righteous completely without any sin. He's not saying holy in the sense that we think about it that way. He's saying, Lord, preserve my soul because you have set me apart. Okay. You've set me. I, I didn't set me apart. You set me apart. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 7 through 8, where he, he tells Israel, I didn't choose you because you were big or because there was anything about you that would have attracted me to you, but I chose you and I set my affections upon you because I loved you. God's just saying, I set you apart because I decided to set you apart. 
I'm, I'm, I, I love you because I decided to love you. And so here David's saying, Lord, this is what I know about you. I belong to you. You set me apart and so preserve my soul. You've already committed yourself to doing that. And in this instance, I need you to do that. And so that's what I'm going to ask for. What about verse 3? Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Be merciful is the request. Be unnecessarily kind. Show compassion, Lord. Why? Because, or for this purpose, I am crying unto you daily. Now, some of these passages... um, you know, God's character is the same from beginning to end. What I thought about here as far as the theological reality, remember in Luke chapter 11, whenever Jesus gave the parable of the woman who was going to the unjust judge and she kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And he says, because of her importunity, because of her shameless begging, because of her constant request, he will grant her what she asked. Hey, I'm crying unto you daily for mercy. Well, here's another question. Is there anything in Scripture that would lead us to believe that God delights in being merciful? Yeah, right. I will uh, show mercy to whom I will show mercy, right? And so David is taking that and he's acting upon it. Um, verse 4, make me rejoice. Why? Because unto thee do I lift my soul. And we could, uh, verses 5 and 6 are a little bit of a reverse of that, but then you get back to it in verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 15, he says, this is as if the Lord were speaking. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Okay, so you notice verses 1 through 7. It's not just some sort of an impromptu, you know, David just writing down something because he was thinking about it. David's thinking very theological here. David's thinking about scriptural truths that have been revealed to him about God and then he's asking God for things based upon those truths. What, 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 what am I saying here? I'm saying that verses 1 through 7 is an illustration of the fact that David's the expectations of David's heart have been aligned to Scripture. That's what's happening. Notice he's not saying, Lord, make it all stop. Lord, you know, take just take me out of this whole thing. He's not saying any of that. Now, I'm not saying we don't get into into places and situations to where that's that's really what we want to happen. And in some ways, there's nothing wrong necessarily with wanting the pain to end. But there is something wrong whenever we um, get our hearts so fixated on the pain ending that we forget that God has given us a treasure trove of theological realities about him that are meant to help us through the pain, even when it doesn't go away. So we said it on Sunday, I'll say it again, hope... You know, finding hope in the day of trouble. Hope was never meant to be a painkiller. Hope is supposed to build endurance or to give endurance so we can go all the way through. And David gives us a tremendous example here in Psalm 86, 1 through 7, about how that's done 
in calling out or calling upon God. So the next section we see is not just calling upon God. You can see how that would build hope. You can see if if you were in a um, if you were in a in, in the day of trouble, whatever that is for you, and whatever that is for me, and whenever that comes in the day of trouble, how helpful it would be if we could um, if we could align our prayers, align our expectations, align our 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 hearts to. God's will and being content with God's provisions and asking for the things that God would have us to ask for, how that would be helpful. I'm not saying that that would magically make everything okay, but it would give endurance. But that's not enough. It's not enough just to ask God for things. David then begins to turn toward God. Notice this in verse 8 through 13. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, and I will walk in truth. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore, for great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Notice in the first first three verses, 8 through 10, David stops from his asking, and he essentially... um, essentially makes these three statements to where he's he's just saying, Lord, you are God and you alone are God. There is no one like you. There's no one like you. Among the gods, verse 8, there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. And so he's saying, Lord, there's no one who even compares or gets close to comparing with who you are, and there's no one or nothing that can get close to comparing with what you do. All the nations, he says in verse 9, whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. Okay, this is just, is just building off of what's being said in, in verse 8. Who else could say that? Who could you say that about as, as far as any other uh, lowercase g God? You can't. David knows here, and and maybe this is a reference to the fact that not just Jews, but the Gentiles will come in, or maybe it's a reference to the fact that one of these days, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, both are theologically accurate. But he says, all nations that you've made are going to come and, and worship you. What that means is, we talk about this when we talk about worship, but all nations are going to come to the conclusion at some point that there's no one like you. There's no one that that compares to your worth, your value. And what will that do? Well, they'll come and they'll glorify your name. Verse 10. Why? Because thou art great. That is, you're you're mighty. you're, You're great and you doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. So these three things, there's no God like you. 
All nations will eventually know that there is no one like you. And then all nations are going to know that you're great and that you do wondrous things. That is difficult, marvelous, miraculous things. Now, I think if we're not careful, we'll miss what David's doing here. Because he's leading somewhere with this. You'll notice the very next thing he says is, teach me your ways. This is almost the Psalms version of John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69, where it talks about Jesus teaching and the multitudes, those who had been following him, decided to leave. And, and he goes to his disciples and says, will you go also? And you remember what Peter said? To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Where else would we go? Peter says that doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make sense that we would go anywhere else in our discouragement, in our uh, difficulties, in our troubles. It doesn't make sense that we would turn to anyone else or anything else. Well, David's way of saying that is, Lord, there's nobody like you. There's no one like you and everyone on the planet one day will know that. And since that's the case, in my day of trouble, as I'm asking you to bow down your ear and hear my prayer and I'm asking you to preserve my soul and to be merciful and to make me rejoice and as I'm asking you to um, answer me and while I'm waiting for all of that to happen... Lord, bless me with endurance. Bless me to remember that there's nowhere else to go. And how is he going to do that? Well, verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Since he alone is God, then David says, number one, teach me. Teach me. Well, you know as well as I do, it's one thing to uh, it's one thing to set up a uh, or to be committed to uh, growing, following the Lord, obeying what what you're you're uh, uh, reading and and hearing as far as sermons go, and and being motivated to grow. It's one thing to do that when everything's going fine. It's another thing to do that whenever you're you feel like your life is falling apart. It's another thing to do that whenever um, you are in a tight spot, when you are in the day of trouble. The last thing you want is somebody teaching you. You're just reacting. David has enough self-awareness that he says, Lord, in the midst of my days, in the, in the midst of my day of trouble or season of trouble, I'm going to remind myself, you are God. And so teach me. Teach me, Lord. Teach me thy way and I will walk in thy truth. One way that you'll find hope in the day of trouble is by walking in obedience to the Lord. He will bless you as you do that. As, as, as you show yourself a humble servant who's not walking in self-sufficiency, but who is walking in line with and in dependence on the Lord. David says, teach me, and I'll walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. 
words, he says, Lord, bless me to fear you. Unite my heart. It's just the same thing as saying, give me an undivided heart. Give me a heart that's not divided. You know what that's like. You've seen people this way and you've been this way before too. To where you really want to honor the Lord, but you also really want something else. David says, that's where I am, Lord, but I'm asking you, teach me and then unite my heart that I would fear you. That when it's time for the rubber to meet the road, I will not count the cost and decide to go the other way. Bless me to have a united heart that would fear you even in my day of trouble. Um, Verse 12 I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. So again, teach me and I will walk. Unite my heart and I will fear. He says, Lord, I will praise you with all of my heart and I will glorify your name forevermore. Why? Because where else am I going to go? Not, it's not just where else am I going to go, but, but if I do go somewhere else, it'll never turn out like this. If I do go somewhere else and I, and I, and I allow myself to be enslaved to idolatry, Lord, that is going to be so destructive. Not just for me, but for those around me. Who's like you, Lord? Who's like you? Verse 13, great is thy mercy toward me and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. David's thinking back here to the past. So he's saying, teach me in the present. Unite my heart in the present. I'm going to praise you in the present. I want to glorify you in the present and I'm planning on doing that forever. And then he's saying, Lord, your mercy toward me is great, that it is, it is, it is mighty. It overcomes obstacles to get to me. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And then, Lord, you have delivered my soul from the lowest hell. He's remembering God's past deliverance. So again, as we try to tie all this together, as far as hope is concerned, Hope is zeroed in, not just on what God has revealed to us. Um, uh, I don't want to say if theologically is part of it, but not just what God has revealed to us as far as truth goes about himself. But hope is also fueled, endurance is fueled, as you remember back to that Romans 5 experience, right? The, 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 the fact that I remember I was in a tight spot before. I was in the day of trouble before. And these things that I was hoping in, then the Lord came through on. The Lord delivered me. Now, He may not have done it exactly the way I thought He was going to do it, or He may not, my, my, my expectation and the details may have been off, but God was God then and God will be God now. And one thing about God toward, as far as He relates to His people, He's always merciful. And so I'm going to expect Him to be merciful. I don't know how all that's going to look in the details, but He's a merciful, loyal, covenant-keeping, sovereign, almighty God. And He was then and He will be now. So, calling upon God, verses 1 through 7, 
turning to God. Again, this is a personal engagement, personal interaction where we're asking to be taught and united in the fear of the Lord and, 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 and we're praising and seeking to glorify or worship the Lord and, and remembering what God has done. The third, third section here, verses 14 through 17, is to cry out to the Lord. Cry out. You know, this, it's, it's worth noting. Um, out of these 17 verses, you really only get four verses where David's actually praying about his present circumstance. Isn't that funny? That's usually not the way our prayers go, and I'm including myself in that. He has, he has really set himself up to pray about his, his particular circumstance here. And so he says in verse 14, O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because Thou, Lord, has helped me and comforted me. Okay, so he he starts out in verse 14, and essentially he says, Lord, those who do not know You have risen up and they have set themselves against me. Now that, that's an intimidating scene. That's not a small thing. He's not saying that, uh, you know, some, some, you know, some, uh, insignificant pressures are in my life. He's, these are big. I have enemies. They have risen up together. They do not care a thing in the world about you, but they are dead set on destroying me. Okay, that's essentially what he's saying. And you'll notice in verse 15, it starts with the word but. Okay, that's a contrast word. So verses 14 and, and, and 15, those are connected. David's saying, my enemies are proud. My enemies have risen up. They are violent and they have sought my soul. But, Lord, you're full of compassion. You see what David's doing? He's saying, here's the greater truth. Here's the greater reality. What can violent enemies who are dead set on destroying my soul do when the God who's full of mercy and compassion is for me? What's the answer? They can't do anything. Not anything that falls outside of the purview of the almighty God, the sovereign God, the covenant-keeping God. That's what David's doing here in this contrast. And so sometimes one of the reasons why we lose hope is because we live in a world where our circumstances are humongous and our God is teeny tiny. And what David's doing is he's saying, no, that's not the case. My circumstances are big, but my God is way bigger. Okay. This is daunting. I can't take care of it by myself, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trusting that God, who has said that He is merciful, I'm trusting that God, who has said, and this is almost verse... Um, 16 is almost lifted directly from that passage in Exodus where uh, God reveals this about Himself. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. 
you're full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. Essentially, David's saying, Lord, I'm going to do my best to focus on you rather than obsessing over my enemies. Because you're going to do what's right. And you're gracious. And you're full of truth. And you're full of compassion toward me. And who can lay a finger on me outside of your sovereign allowance or permission? See, we really are getting into hope informed by truth. Because this is not the way we would typically look at a situation like that. And we would, ne- we would never think about it that way if we weren't informed by truth that this is the way it really is. And so, my enemies rise against me, but Lord, you are for me. Verse 16, O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Essentially, he's saying, Lord, I've turned to you and I'm asking you to turn to me and to strengthen me. Give me strength. You know what that implies? It implies he doesn't have strength at the moment. So we're at the end of this. Remember what I said before. Hope is not meant to eliminate the situation. It's not meant to eliminate the pressure. It's not meant to to make you happy or to be a painkiller. It's meant to give you endurance. And part of the prayer that David's praying here is for endurance. He's saying, Lord, right now, I don't have strength. I know the truth and I'm trying to lay hold of the truth and I'm rehearsing the truth, but I need your strength. I need you to help me. I need you to give me the strength that I need. And then verse 17, show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. So show me a token of your goodness. You know what that's like. If you've lived long enough and you've walked with the Lord long enough, you've received those tokens of grace, those tokens of God's goodness where the Lord just makes you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm with you. I'm here in this place with you. And I'm confirming that with something. You know, I don't, and it, who knows what it, will, what it is. David's saying, Lord, give me a token of your goodness. Make, it, make me to see, to experience a manifestation of your goodness for two reasons. That my enemies may be put to shame. That they may be put to shame. That's another way of saying that is that they would, that you would embarrass my enemies, that you would overturn their plans. Their plans are to destroy me. Show me a token of your goodness that their plans may be overthrown and that those who do not even acknowledge you might be humiliated. And then show me a token of your goodness that I might find your help and comfort. Last part of that verse. Show me a token of your goodness that I might find your help and your comfort. And then you notice the psalm just stops. I wonder how long until David was out of whatever situation he was in. We don't know and we're not meant to know. But when this psalm ends, this psalm ends with David begging God for strength and begging God for help. It doesn't end with God wrapping it all up in a nice box and putting a bow on top. David's still struggling here. And so finding hope 
in the day of trouble, uh, we know that whatever this is, whatever the circumstance was or the scenario was, as far as uh, us having the historical timeline of David's life, the Lord brings him out of that. He's delivered from that eventually. We don't know, again, what it is or when or any of those kinds of things. But God in His faithfulness delivered David. But we don't see that at the end of this psalm. What we do find is a man who is laying hold of hope in the day of trouble, who is asking for strength and help so he can endure the difficulty that he's smack dab in the middle of. And then we can be assured based on what we know in the other portions of Scripture that God sustained him, that God delivered him, and that God glorified himself through David. And David was a man just like me and you, a human just like us. God, the same God who David says, Lord, you're my covenant God. That's the same God you pray to. You realize that the same God who he says, Lord, almighty, preserve me. Same God. Matter of fact, you know more about this God than David knew. Because more has been revealed. The same God that he says, oh, sovereign, be merciful. The same one we have access to. And so may God bless us to wrestle, to be able to lay hold of hope, biblical hope, as we find ourselves in and out of our day of trouble. Because there are going to be plenty of them. You know, you may not be in one tonight, but it won't be long and we'll be in one. It may not be an extended one, but in this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. And then we can add this little phrase, and I've given you hope to get you through the trouble. I've given you hope to get you through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 86 and we thank you just for just the blessing it is to be able to come and to um, to read portions of Scripture like this that align so well with our own experiences and that are true to. They're not uh, they don't uh, paint an unrealistic picture in a in a perfect world. Uh, Psalm 86 would not have ended this way. We would have got to see the ending and we would have got to see the resolve. But there, Lord, in the life we live, there are so many things, particularly in the present, that we don't have a resolve with. And it's a blessing to see that in those things that you give us hope. You give us reason to hope. You give us a way forward. And so I pray you would bless us to call upon your name the way that David did. I pray that you would bless us to turn to you the way that David did. And I pray that you would bless us to cry out to you the way that David did in our day of trouble. We thank you for Jesus Christ and for the confidence that we have in him and in his work. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.